In junior church, we're fond of firing questions at the children. We do it, and that bright kids answer up, and they give so many right answers. But the children have gone, and we are the adult church. And I'd like to pose an adult question. What is church all about? What is church all about? There are probably a number of good answers to this, and you're probably thinking of some of them. The church has come to mean so many things to different people, which is wonderful because we're a very, very much an assorted bunch of people. But it leads us in our multicultural, multi-faith world to ask, what is at the heart of what makes us a church? Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote that letter to the Colossians, I'd love to read it all this morning, but we don't have time, but Jane has read a small portion that I want to focus on this morning. When Paul wrote that letter, he lived in a religious world. Everyone had a religion. may come as a surprise to us. There were no atheists. Everyone had gods. And no one ever doubted their existence until Christian preachers came along and started upsetting their ideas. That's why Christians became so unpopular in the ancient world. But at the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter to the Colossian church, a church of comparatively new believers, certainly compared with all of us, most of them very new Christians, what upset the Apostle Paul so much was that he heard that at the church in Corinth, this pagan pick-and-mix idea of various gods and various philosophies and various beliefs, it was spreading into the church. It was infecting the church of Jesus Christ. So Paul did what he was good at. First of all, he prayed, I'm sure. And then, in his first chapter, he thanked God for them. And then he told them off. Always good to thank God for people, to recognise their value to God before you criticise them. Because Paul was passionate about the unity of the church, and I think we can be sure that God is passionate about the unity of the church. Jesus said, didn't he, in that wonderful prayer that we know so well, he prayed that his followers would be one so that the world would know the truth that he had come from God. And so in these verses, and you might like to open your Bibles, so it's not up there, but you might like to open your Bibles at Colossians chapter 2, we find the Apostle Paul giving these Christians what we might call a reality check. It's a popular phrase these days, a reality check. What does it mean? Well, I looked up a definition of reality check. And one definition is, it's an occasion that causes you to consider the facts about a situation and not your ideas, your opinions or beliefs. That's an occasion that causes you to consider the facts about a situation. So Paul writes into this church, which is getting a bit muddled up with all sorts of philosophies and rules and regulations, he called them back to a reality check. And I want to focus this morning on verse 17, that last verse that Jane read. 
where he says the reality is found in Christ. And I love that. I love that verse. The reality is found in Christ. At the heart of everything, when we burrow deep beneath all the layers of convention, tradition, habits that we have in church, and some of them are good. I'm not saying traditions aren't good. Habits are good. There are good habits as well as bad habits. But then right there as the bedrock as the foundation upon which the whole structure is built is the reality is Christ and Paul says that the things that creep into churches and they still do today don't they things that divide us things that cause us to feel a bit estranged from some of our fellow church members. I'm not talking specifically about this church, I'm talking about churches everywhere. They're shadows, says Paul. They're not the substance, they're shadows. An illusion of what church is all about. The reality, he says, is found in Christ. And this is true whether these things that creep into churches be the sort of things that were dividing the church of Colossae, pagan philosophies, rules about what they were allowed to eat, disputes about Sundays, disputes about feast days, etc., etc. Or whether they might be things that divide us today. You know very well what they are, don't you? Hymns or songs, pews or chairs, healings, gifts of the Spirit, women in ministry, reverence or exuberance, and so on, so on. Some of them very important, and some of them you may have strong ideas about. But however strongly we may feel about some of these things and about our opinions, remember that reality check. The reality check is the solid facts of the situation. Okay, you may say, that's a great text, Mike, but what does it mean? What does it mean for me as I live my life during this week? So I want to give you three headings, like all good preachers do. I'm not very good at it myself, but this morning I've got three headings for you. What does the reality of Christ mean to us? My first heading is the reality of Christ's life. Jesus actually lived. No one ever disputes that these days. No one disputes that there was an actual historical person called Jesus. And we all remember those childhood images, don't we? Those beautiful pictures of Jesus holding a lamb in his arms. With all due respect to my wife, she loves to use lambs in talks with the children. We're talking about adults now. Jesus cuddling a lamb, Jesus gathering little children to him, all so many different colours. You wouldn't believe there were so many different colours of children all gathered round Jesus. Okay, and they're lovely, lovely, but they're, they're childhood images. They reassure children of God's love for them, for each individual, and that's wonderful. But we're the adult church, seeking the substance and not the shadow. We've got the Gospels three of which were written by men who had walked with Jesus, heard him preach, seen him in action. 
And anyone reading the Gospels through, which I'm sure we all do from time to time, try to read it as though we've never read it before. Read this as though, must be wonderful, isn't it, for someone who discovers the Gospels and has never been familiar with these stories. But we can try to do it. Ask God to clear our mind of all the clutter and to come to the Gospels as living books that tell us about this amazing man who lived 2,000 years ago. And we're conscious of the fact that this man was a dynamic personality whose words and whose actions and whose attitudes burned their way into the minds, the hearts of those who heard him. And he was no gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But he was a wonderful, strong blend of courage and compassion. He blasted religious hypocrites for their self-serving duplicity, putting on an outward show of piety and religion whilst feathering their own nets by, nests by collaboration with the pagan authorities. But he showed immense compassion for a poor widow whose only son had just died, for a man with the crippling disease of leprosy, for a woman whose immorality was castigated while the man went off scot-free. He stood up to all the power of the mighty Roman Empire by calling people to a different kingdom. A kingdom that we've been thinking about in home groups after the, over these last few months. The kingdom of God. And he said, if you put this first, the kingdom of God, first in your lives, your everyday lives, not just as a theological lecture or a sermon, if you put the kingdom of God first in your lives, all these things will be added to you. And he made himself so awkward to the Roman authorities that he finished up nailed to a cross, which was a punishment reserved, not for men who cuddle lambs, but for those considered subversive, a danger to the state, revolutionaries. That's why they did away with him. That's the solid reality of Christ's life. He's a man I want to follow. He's a man whose teachings I want to read and seek to put into practice. It's a reality that burns from the pages of the Gospel every time we read them. But secondly, I want to talk about the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. The Gospel of Luke tells us that when opposition to Jesus was building up, when people were getting very uncomfortable about him and felt they had to do away with him, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I love that. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This very warm and human man showed that he was made of steel. When men were plotting his death, what would you and I have done? We might have fled. He might have taken his friends up into the hills and to a place of safety until the atmosphere had calmed down. But no, he didn't do that. He went right into the lion's den to Jerusalem. Where all the enemies, religious and political, were gathered. Why did he do that? Why didn't he lie low for a bit? Did he have a death wish? No, he didn't have a death wish. Everything I read about Jesus 
shows me a man who lived life to the full. He had abundant life and he wanted to share it with his followers. And yet he knew that his hatred of injustice and hypocrisy was taking him on a collision course with the powers that be, not only with the Jewish establishment but with the Roman authorities too. That passage we read in Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15, say this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations, which was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You may wonder, who are these powers and authorities he's talking about? They weren't Jews. They weren't Romans. Right through the Bible, it is accepted there are the realities of spiritual forces opposed to God. And Jesus recognised those spiritual forces he recognised the leader of the spiritual forces, Satan, and called him the prince of this world. And when Simon Peter, in that story we know so well, tried to persuade Jesus not to go to his death, Jesus memorably recognised this as coming from Satan, not from human thinking. I love C.S. Lewis's words, which many of you know so well. Deep wisdom from the dawn of time. It comes in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. That wonderful story that portrays the gospel more powerfully than any preacher can. Deep wisdom from the dawn of time. And Jesus, in his dying, didn't just die as a brave martyr. He died as someone taking on all the powers of evil, all the powers that enslave men and women around the world and enslave us if we're not careful. That downward pull within us that the Bible calls sin, that unpopular term these days, but sin is what it is, is disobedience against God. And he took on all those forces and they didn't beat him. He triumphed over them. Hallelujah for that. He gained the victory. Why? For our sakes. Not for his own sake. God was already victor over the dark forces of the unseen world. Jesus won that battle for our sake so that we might know freedom from sin, freedom from all the attacks of Satan and be risen with Christ. Because my third point is, I want to remind us all this morning of the reality of our need of Christ. We've talked about the reality of Christ's life, the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. The third reality is the reality of my need of Christ and of your need of Christ. Let's go back to where we came in, shall we? What is the church all about? And we never forget that these New Testament letters were addressed to churches. In writing to the Colossians, he was writing to a group of people who might be, have been exactly like us inside, dressed differently, different education, but still human beings the same as us. People battling with these dark forces that were trying to pull them down and seeking to live a Christian life, but somehow getting sidetracked into disputes about secondary issues. 
And he says, stop chasing shadows. Find the reality, because the reality is found in Christ. Christ the compassionate, who understands your sadness, who understands your situation, who knows all about your anxiety, about your illness, who knows all about your concerns, about your family, who knows about your guilt, about your unworthiness. And he's nailed all those dark forces of evil to his cross. This isn't theology, this is life. And Christ, the man who challenges the status quo and wants us all to get out of our religious ruts and to allow our lives to be filled with all the fullness of the risen Christ. Because the life, death and resurrection of Christ, the Son of God, are the realities that have burned their way into men and women over the history of this world. So many that I can only just select just a couple of examples. The lovely story of the Christian martyrs back there in the first century. The beautiful story of Perpetua, the Roman noblewoman who became a Christian, who would not deny her faith and went into the arena with her slave girl, Felicitas, and gave her the kiss of peace. And together they were thrown to the wild beasts, dying for Christ. Like William Wilberforce, who committed his life as a young man to the solid reality of Jesus Christ in his life, and dedicated his life to working for the abolition of the slave trade because he knew that he could not equate that with what he'd come to know of Jesus Christ. Like Martin Luther King, who saw that the reality of Christ did not allow men to despise others just because of the colour of their skin, and he paid the price for taking on the enemies of justice. And just this week, to bring our testimonies up to date, just this week I read the testimony of a 21-year-old Syrian, Yaqub, he was a young boy when he saw his beautiful country of Syria torn apart by the outbreak of violence and hatred. In his own words, he says, religion went into politics, which started the conflict and it ruined everything. And what turned him violently against all religion was a dreadful thing. At the age of 14, he saw a shell fall onto a school bus and he watched as a whole class of primary school children burned to death. This turned him against all religion, made him decide he would have nothing to do with any God or any religion. But through the love of Christian relatives and through the patience and perseverance of a Christian evangelist, Yacoub has now come to discover the solid reality of Jesus Christ, not of religion, but of a relationship with Jesus Christ that has caused him to go to Bible College in Lebanon and to prepare to go back to his shattered country of Syria and to seek to share the good news. Because the reality of Jesus Christ needs to be more and more the foundation of my life and of yours. I know some of you are like Timothy, and we read about brought up to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, which is wonderful. Others of us have the blessing of having had a dramatic conversion, and we can put a date to it. 
Others of us here perhaps have never come to discover this reality. You've never got beneath this, the superficial truth of the church, which is truth, that the church is a group of people who are seeking to love one another, to build one another up, which is wonderful. But we can't do it in our own strength. The solid reality is Christ. And each one of us needs to discover that for him or herself to build our lives upon that solid reality. It's very simple. We've got a biblical example. Jesus said to those fishermen by the shore of Lake Galilee, follow me. And they did. You may hear God's voice this morning. You may hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, follow me. What do we do about it? We don't debate it. We don't analyse it. We say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. It's quite easy. But if you'd like someone to help you to start on that road this morning, seek out someone you trust in this congregation and talk to them and ask them to pray for you that you can start walking step by step with Jesus on that solid reality. It's a wonderful experience. I believe God is calling each of us to just take a moment, a moment's reflection and to invite Jesus Christ once more to be that rock on which we stand, that solid reality on which we build our lives. Let's stop sh chasing shadows and let us as a church concentrate on that reality which is Christ. Let's pray.